So you guys made it. <laughs> Second week of Falcons traffic. Um, there are three and only three things that are going through your head right now, and I actually know what they are. I'm going to tell you what they are. Number one, is this going to be terrible? Number two, why is our worship leader not giving us a sermon on worship? All right? <laughs> and number three, why is who is quite possibly the most pessimistic person I have ever met on the planet giving us a sermon on hope? So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm, going to answer, I'm going to answer all three of them for you. I got you covered, Steve. Is this going to be terrible? Probably, all right? But here's the deal. We're going to endure together. There's a campus minister at Georgia Tech once told me when I was an undergrad, literal quote, he said, leave the preaching to the preachers and the music to the musicians. <laughs> he actually said that to me, ouch, right? Actually, I was like, oh, I'm a musician. I finally made it. I was like, I took that as a compliment. All right, so the second one, why isn't the worship leader giving a worship uh, sermon on worship? So this one's easy, right? The worship here is perfect. Really, what's there to talk about? All right. Next. All right. Why is the most pessimistic guy I've ever met giving a sermon on the subject of hope? So Derek messed up, right? The through series was supposed to be five weeks. I was going to do the one on self-loathing, loathing, but like at the last minute we cut it. And so here I am ironically talking about hope. Um, there, there actually is a real reason, but let me give you some background first. Um, for those of you that might not know me, if you're new here, um, this this isn't my full-time gig where I, where I get up here and lead worship every week. Um, I actually work as a healthcare consultant, so I travel around the U.S. and I present stuff to hospitals and hospital executives on a, on a pretty regular basis. And basically what I do is I effectively bore adults to death for hours on end until they agree to do something about what I tell them. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, in the countless, like, in the, the countless times that I have stood up in front of an audience and talked, it is fascinating to me the things that you've got to do to keep grown men and women awake. Fascinating. So you've got to feed them. You've got to show them funny YouTube clips, preferably with animals. You've got to play icebreaker-type games. Then it's usually time for a bathroom break. Then it's usually time for lunch. Then it's usually time for the CEO's nap. And this is how it goes, right? So we're going to actually start this morning with a game. Are you guys ready? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to close your eyes. I'm going to count to three and say a word. It's going to be a word association game. When I say that word, I want you to think of the first thing that pops in your head, all right? And you have to be honest, all right? So this is the thing. You can't lie about whatever it is that pops in your head or this game's going to be completely pointless, right? So everyone close your eyes. This is round one. And there's no judgment here. All right, one, two, three, Christmas. Open your eyes. How many of you, tree was the first thing that popped in your head? Be honest. All right. All right, cool. How many of you are patron Saint Nick? <laughs> Santa? Was Joel the only? Oh, wait, no. Some more. Okay. Some more on Santa. How many of you thought of Jesus because you're suck-ups? <laughs> no, seriously, did anyone actually think of Jesus as the first thing? So a couple of things about this, actually. I pulled this image off the internet. Um, what does that even mean? I follow Jesus, not the Bible. Like, isn't that... I don't really get it, honestly. Like, I think if you're following Jesus, you're inherently following the Bible because that's pretty much all he did was regurgitate the Old Testament and then live it out. But the second thing is, like, that's a good-looking Jesus. <laughs> I actually think that, um, I think Sydney showed that guy to me on her tender last week. 
I think he lives in East Atlanta. Either way, I'd follow that guy. So, all right, close your eyes. Round two. Round two. Close your eyes. All right, I'm counting to three again. One, two, three, heaven. All right, open your eyes. How many of you thought of clouds? All right. How many of you thought of angels? A couple of people. All right, how many of you thought of any of these other images? The pearly gates, the stairs, whatever it is. All right, more importantly, how many of you thought of what's probably the best worship song ever written? Last round, close your eyes. Here we go. One, two, three, hope. All right, open your eyes. How many of you thought of the word wish, like genie in a lamp style? Anyone? How many of you thought of words that surround hope, like um, faith or joy or love? Did any of those pop in your head first? How many of you had a really hard time thinking of anything at all? No image came to mind. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't blame you because that's where this series actually came from. Um, I was reading a book that was on hope. I was talking with Derek about the concept of hope. And I was like, what even is hope? And to that end, do do we actually live in a world that has hope? So in the wake of a series called Through, where we discussed pain and guilt and shame, I think it's only natural that we stop depressing you for a few weeks and that we actually segue into, so how do we come out of those things? What are the daily challenges? How do we attack those daily challenges and how do we emerge from those places? So that's why I'm up here, all right? Um, Sometimes I think it really takes the opposite or the antithesis to define a thing. So like, what's the opposite of dark? Light. You understand light better because of dark. What's the opposite of evil? Good. What's the opposite of despair? Hope. So I think that I'm sort of the bridge between these two series, and I think I'm sort of the work in process as well for hope. So let's start off um, with our scripture here. This is going to be our scripture for the next uh, three weeks, and I'm going to read it for you. Romans 5, 2 through 5. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning um, just as people of hope or people that want to be people of hope even when we don't feel like it. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak to us through your word. God, I pray that you would just build character and endurance within us. And we love you and we worship you. It's your holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so hope is rarely defined, right? Or I think that when we think about this word, if we were to define it, it's usually defined in really passive ways. Like when we try to conceptualize it, obviously we can't. That was the whole point of that exercise. Or we think about it in really unrealistic ways, right? So when we use it in common speech, it's watered down. Sometimes it's meaningless. So what do we say? We say, I sure hope so. Very common. I hope you are doing well, like an incredibly passive way of telling someone like, you know, well-wishing, if you will. I hope you get well soon, something that's on almost every single card that you've ever bought for somebody. Um, My personal favorite, I hope you've learned your lesson. So how else? All right, so let's go to the source of all life, which is Google. Um, Google actually, if you were to type in I hope into the search bar, the first thing that pops up is I hope you dance, which is fine, all right? Look, (laughs) 
Leanne Womack is fine with me. 90s country is the only country that I'm going to listen to anyway. However, the fourth option in the drop down, when you Google I hope, <laughs> is I hope you die in a fire. I, I don't really understand why. I don't really know what that means, but clearly there are a lot of different uses of the word hope. And we use it in many different ways, some for positive, um, some for negative. I originally wanted to actually title this series Hope is a Four-Letter Word because when I think about the true definition of hope and how we use it, it can be used for good, but it can be used for negativity. And most of the time we're using it in completely wrong or in completely hopeless circumstances, right? So here's the thing. This is the first quote from N.T. Wright that I want to share. And this is actually the first half of a quote. Um, that's kind of going to bookend our morning. So N.T. Wright, in Surprised by Hope, says, hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or mere blind optimism. So like I said, I think it's important for us to kick off this series talking about what hope isn't, because I I think it's going to help us understand what hope is. So to that end, I think that it's also not just happiness and it's also not unquestioning. So we as Christians have kind of been trained to think that that's the, that's the lifestyle that we're supposed to be living in, sort of this, um, we're not supposed to question God's promises, we're supposed to be happy all of the time. Um, if we're hopeful, if we are a hopeful people, then we are blindly optimistic and that's not it. So let's do this then, let's go into a little bit of storytelling. If you guys have been around for the last couple of years, you've heard my background, you've heard some of my personal struggles and my testimony. For those of you that haven't heard the highlights, In 2014, I had a relatively serious nervous breakdown. It sucked. Here I am at the end, right? I didn't really want to exclusively draw from that story because, I mean, we did the interview, whatever it was, last year, um, and I think there's some different personal experiences that actually relate a little bit better to what we're talking about today. But I do think it's important to dig around in your past when you're talking about hope. So at home, I actually have (laughs) have a box that I keep stuff in um, that I keep memories in. Can you guess what I call it? The Jeff box. Steven for the win. All right, so here's the thing. It's not the most masculine thing to keep memories as a guy, but I tried to put it in this Budweiser crate to make it more masculine. So I keep all these things in it, and I brought a sampling this morning that I want to share with you guys. So here we go. We're going to start like... kind of chronologically is what we're going to do. All right. Number one, from the incredible year 1935, a yo-yo that was made and painted by my grandpa. So my mom's sitting in the back row. She's probably like, why did you take that out of storage? I'm going to kill you. (laughs) So kept this around. This came uh, from his basement, I think, when he just started giving away stuff um, to me and my brother. We just, like, have held on to some of the relics of his. So for those of you that know me really well, you also know that I am a giant, giant sports fan, sports fanatic, if you will. So here's a 1984 Phil Necro signed baseball card. The knuckleball, right? Yeah, so this is the Braves. It actually has the old Braves logo on it on the back, which is pretty awesome. Um, didn't, we, didn't Phil Necro live in our neighborhood? I don't even know how that works. So I've never met him. I was probably three. But I, I held on to this because I am such a sports fan. All right, this one is super important. This is my first ever piano book from Piano Lessons. The Suzuki Piano School, Volume 1. And if it looks discolored from where you're sitting, um, you're correct, it is discolored, but it's not for the reasons you think. It's not because of time. It's because my mom spilled coffee on every single one of my piano books. (laughs) 
on the way to almost every single one of my lessons um, growing up. She drove like a bat out of hell in her 1989 Toyota Camry, so here we go. And also, apparently, my brother, who took like one year of piano, put his name, we put his name at the top of the book, so cool, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, I'm actually surprised I still have this, but this is the ticket stub from my first ever concert. Check this out, at the Omni. How many remember the Omni? An incredible venue that was. DC Talk Freak Show. <laughs> Went with my dad. March 9th, 1996, absolutely incredible. All right, um, I, actually, I actually was athletic in high school. I ran and I swam, so here's my swim cap from when we won state when I was a junior in high school, so that's pretty awesome. I held on to that. Um, and keeping with successes, I held on to the first album that I ever made in college. This was with my college band. We were horrible. <laughs> this album is horrible. And the thing is, it's still in cellophane, and I kept it that way because it's probably a collector's item now because I've thrown the rest of them away. So we'll auction this off at the end. All right. Um, this is a pipe from Beijing that my friend Adrian brought back to me um, when I was in college. She did study abroad there. She just brought back a bunch of trinkets for us, and this was a, um, a hand-carved pipe that she found. Um, I just thought it was really cool. I held on to it. I also think that at some point um, in the last decade, my brother actually smoked out of this. I'm not really sure. Um, but I held on to it anyway. No, it's still fine. It's still fine. So I got that. Um, let's see what else we got here. A couple more things. This is a receipt that I kept from Taco Mac. So um, for those of you that have frequented Taco Mac or go... Um, with any sort of, you know, relative frequency. You know when you hit a certain number of unique beers, they give you a large cup that replaces the small cup. So when you hit 125 beers or whatever it is, and now all of a sudden for the same price, which is still overpriced, you get a bigger cup. So whoop de doo So I kept this because obviously in my past, I have, not, um, I have not drank now for two years, but I held on to this as a memory. Some really good beers on there for you beer snobs, though, by the way, if you want to check that out later. All right, and the last thing is several journals. Again, incredibly manly, I know, but I held on to a bunch of them. Even from the fourth grade, I had a journal, um, and the content in it was varied, but you can pretty much guarantee what's inside of a journal, <laughs> inside of my uh, Jeff memory box, is girls that I had crushes on, woes about dating, notes and scribbles from probably a thousand different failed songs, Planning sessions from uh, me trying to get stuff together as a worship leader um, just early on, like in my college years. And from my previous gig when I led worship at Grace Midtown um, for, I think it was about four and a half years. Um, and lots of thoughts ranging from dark to light and then back again. And what I wanted to do to kick off the Hope series was read an excerpt, which was a prayer that I actually wrote. And this was on April 7th, 2008 at 11.17 p.m. So here we go, I'm going to read this for you. Here's a funny thing. I can't sleep. I can't concentrate. I don't see the purpose of staying in school. I don't like eating. I, don't, I have no desire to exercise. I feel sick. I can't write. I can't create. Words seem meaningless. Everyone seems so distant. Yeah, that's hilarious. What's the point in serving as a pastor and standing in front of people and leading them if I have nothing to say? My greatest fear is that someone might catch me and discover that I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. How many of you guys have felt like that before? I'm part of a generation that is completely and utterly lost. We can't see what's ahead of us. 
We've been trained to follow our dreams without consequences or without knowing the consequences. My church, talking about Grace Midtown at the time, fired me because I wasn't cool enough. My married friends are already getting divorced. And now I don't even know what contentment looks like, what it means, or how it's achieved. We get up and we sing worship songs like enough or all we need, but I actually don't know what it means when we sing we have all we need in you. How can you tell somebody that there is hope, that you are a loving God, when they stare into the void and all they see and hear and feel in return is nothing? Someday I know I'm going to be free. Someday I'm going to be pulled from the mire. I'll be rinsed clean and placed where I belong, completely new and completely happy, my soul at rest. But, God, this is my prayer tonight. Give hope to the hopeless, mainly me. So, I was clearly going through some stuff at that time. And it's easy to see from this side of the fence, I think, years down the road. I was a dude that was struggling with a long, long history of anxiety and depression. And probably not only that, but that was around the time of my senior year at Georgia Tech. And so the weight of life was probably catching up with me. It probably wasn't helping anyway, right? But I think that you guys know that feeling, that feeling of hollowness, even if you don't struggle from anxiety or if you don't struggle from depression. I kind of liken it to like that feeling Christmas afternoon when you open all the presents and it's over and there's this weird emptiness and you're like, okay, now what? Or like if you, um, if you are an athlete at the end of a race, at the end of a meet, you get home, you get in bed and you're like, man, that was kind of the peak, now what? I actually did this for years with music. It was really interesting. As much as I absolutely loved playing gigs, I would say yes to every single opportunity that came up. I would play the last note, get back to the hotel and feel just incredibly hollow. The music itself wasn't enough. And so I, in some way, needed to know hope, whatever that was or whatever that actually is. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn to Scripture, um, and then also three thoughts that I have around what hope actually is. So if we're thinking about Romans 5.2, so our Scripture for this series, hope is the manifestation of that quote in Romans 5.2. Access by faith into grace. So let me read that again. Romans 5.2, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now the message version, so Eugene's mo- Eugene Peterson's modern interpretation of the scriptures, he actually says we throw open our doors to God and discover he has already opened his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we have always hoped that we might stand. I think that's a really cool picture because what does this mean? So if this is the manifestation of access by by faith into grace, then it means this. If Jesus' death on the cross was the unlocking of a door, then I think that hope is the sound of the key turning. So if you think about it, it's the echo and it's the reverberation of the promises of things to come. New creation, new heaven and earth, no more sadness, no more pain. So if faith is what we can't see, if grace is something that we don't fully understand as humans, then I think that hope is the human component. It's the peace that outpours emotion. It allows us to be in a dark place without judgment. It allows us to bring up questions that we uh, maybe think we aren't supposed to be asking. It allows us to want more from life. It even allows us to want more from God's blessings. So we said earlier that the opposite of despair is hope. The opposite of hope is despair. I think what young Jeff didn't really realize in writing these words is that I actually had hope when I was writing this stuff. It wasn't despair. It might have sounded like despair. But someone praying for escape or someone praying for reprieve is not a lost cause. In fact, that's exactly what God calls us to do. 
So not turn to the things of this world for comfort, but to turn to him. Knowing that there's an exit and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel are two very different things, I know. But aren't they both hope at the end of the day? So here's another story. Um, I take medication for depression and anxiety. Um, A few months back, I intentionally didn't take my medication for a few days. So day one, I felt, I felt okay. I was going to try to beat this thing. I was like, oh, maybe I'll be better now. Day two, I actually felt great. I was like, this is it. I have it beaten, finally. Day three, got in my car, drove to work, sat at my desk, and I was catatonic. I, like, crashed. And I just stared at my phone. I didn't know what to do. I remember group texting Joel and Lisa because I was so frustrated. I was like, I don't want to have to rely on a freaking pill to get through the day. It's absolutely ridiculous to me. And Joel said something to me that I will never, ever forget. And he said this. This was a quote from his text. He said, get up, go take your medication. You'll make it through the day. A soldier in armor is still a soldier. So not only is that fantastic friendship, but I think that is an excellent example of an infusion of faith into grace. And we see that sentiment all through the Bible. The second point about hope is that hope is the proper response to the promises of God. So that's it, right? Henri Nouwen, who is one of my favorite authors, he wrote this book called Reaching Out, which is one of my favorite books, but he said this actually in an interview in a quote. All the great spiritual leaders in history were people of hope. Abraham, Moses, Ruth, Mary, Jesus, Rumi, who's apparently an Islamic theologian, I had no idea, Gandhi, and Dorothy Day all lived with a promise in their hearts that guided them towards the future without the need to know exactly what it would look like. Let's live with hope. So Romans 4.18, against all hope, Abraham believed. Ruth bounced back from extreme tragedy. Moses was a hothead, made tons of mistakes through his entire career. Mary had a virgin pregnancy. You think she didn't question what was going on? So I think our response to God in times of feast and famine, it's not unquestioning, right? It's not just being happy all the time. It's simply this concept of hope. And in fact, I think that concept of hope underpins many of the worship songs um, that we sing here and many of the songs that I've written and now force you to sing here. So this morning, for example, so we're singing Joyful, Joyful, that adaptation of Beethoven's Ninth. We sing Field and Forest, Vale and Mountain, Flowery Meadow, Flashing Sea, Singing Bird and Flowing Fountain, Call Us to Rejoice in Thee. And similarly, the song that we sang always, written by guys up the street, Trouble Surrounds Me, chaos and bounding, but my soul will rest in you. And one of my tunes, By the Cross, comes straight from Romans 8. Lips will repeat, your kingdom come, mirror the heavens, your will be done. The promise of hope, we will wait for you. So I think the summary here is, despite a wide, wide range of emotions and circumstances in the way that we use hope, Hope is supposed to be our response to the promises of God because it is our purpose. So to that end, we're actually fulfilling our purpose in God when we are being hopeful people or a people of hope. It serves as a foundation for absolutely everything else that we do. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. So like what are the markers of hope? What does that actually look like? How do we actually practice hope? But if you think think about it, Later in that scripture in Romans 5, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Think of it this way. There's another author who I absolutely love, and this guy, um, this guy, I believe he's an atheist, but he is a um, just world-renowned expert in anxiety and depression. His name's Andrew Solomon. 
Um, he wrote a book that I love called The Noonday Demon, which is like this giant atlas on just his experiences with depression. But he said this in a quote again in an interview, illness is despair and identity is hope. And so what's really interesting to me is if identity is hope, how do we describe that identity or how do we define it? In 1 Peter 1.13, we get a little bit of a picture of that. It says, therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's some very tangible, very actionable things here in which we can place our identity. So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, and be ready for the gift of Jesus is essentially what it's telling us. That's a heavy identity. That's a, that's a big calling. So I guess the thing is, like, is it okay for us to use the word hope casually? Like when we say, I hope so, I hope you get better. I mean, of course it is. But I think to live as a hopeful person or to live in hope as a Christian, it calls us for a different type of living that we see here in 1 Peter 1.13. It's okay for me to keep a relic beer crate full of memories because those memories from my past keep me future-focused. Many of them drive me to act. Many of them keep me incredibly humble and sober in spirit. Many of them remind me of what truly matter in my life. So look, if the scripture keeps us future-focused and if our, past remind, if our pasts remind us of greater things to come, we still have to contend with the present. So good old Clive Staples here. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity in chapter 10, chapter 10 is all about hope. And I just pulled um, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite pieces from that chapter. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. It means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is, though. I love how that ends because around here we have a local adaptation of the Lord's Prayer that's turned bumper sticker. What is it? That's right. Yeah, in Atlanta as it is in heaven. So just like he says here in this quote, we don't leave the world alone to rot even though we are people of hope and we're looking towards the future. That's why we get together every single week. That's why we get in this place, set up and tear down, do the thing, read the book. It's why we do and support local missions. It's why we create art. It's why we give So I think these are sort of my final thoughts for this morning. Again, just kicking off the series on hope. I showed you the first half of the quote at the beginning. Hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or not uh, mere blind optimism. So we know what hope isn't. N.T. Wright says this, It is a mode of knowing, a mode within which new things are possible, options are not shut down, and new creation can happen. So this is where we're going for the next few weeks. Like I said, Derek will be talking about the other verses in Romans 5. Where do we find hope? What are the benchmarks and the markers of a hopeful person? But if I were to sum up, I would say this. Hope points to the future. It's influenced by where we've been, but it lives in the presence. It lives in the present. We're here conquering life's hardships together with the promise of greater things to come. So that's it. That's hope, guys. How many times have you got applause after a sermon, Derek? <laughs> All right, we're gonna um, we're gonna pray and we're gonna get into communion together. Um, Derek will set up communion. But let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for the gift and the promise of hope. Guys, we just think about the access that we have to you, the doors that are now open. Father, we think of hope as the, as the reverberation. God, the sound of the promise itself. So Father, be with us, live with us. Guys, we walk through this together as we come out of um, a series that just resonates so deeply with all of us. Guilt and shame and pain. God, I pray that you would just give us hope. So we love you, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.